What's happening? Not too much. How are you? I'm doing well. Are you getting weird feedback? Should I put my headphones on or? No, it's fine. Sounds okay. It's good. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you look good. I, sh- I should have got a haircut and yeah, I got a I tan. went to my favorite uh, Uzbekistani barber. I think he did a pretty <laughs> good job. It was my first time. Fantastic. All right. Well, banter, banter done. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Small, no small talk, right? Um, I have to, I have to do my little, my little intro thing for Ethan. Yeah, do he, it. He can, he can put all this stuff in whatever he wants, but, um, anyway, so yeah, let me, let me do the official start and, and then we'll get right into it. Cool. Yeah. All right. Welcome back to SwitchCast. I can't say SwitchCast live tonight because we are doing a special pre-recorded episode. We have a really, really cool guest on tonight. I'm not going to ruin the surprise just yet. I have to do the intro first, but give us about 15 seconds and then you'll know. Anyway, I am your host, Doug Tabbitt. I am the owner of Switch Cars and current Cannonball record holder. And tonight, instead of a live show talking about how to buy cars and sell cars and own cars wisely, we have a special kind of interruption of our regular season three broadcasts. And I have a guest on that I've been trying to get on here for for quite a while. Um, Again, it is pre-recorded, so we won't be able to take your questions as we go, but certainly post your comments and thoughts in the comment flow, and maybe we'll get to them at a later date. Uh, So there is some confusion about how many times the Cannonball record was broken during the COVID lockdowns, or at least the early stages of the lockdown when traffic was at greatly reduced levels. Ed Bolian stated that it took six years for his record to be broken, but in the span of a couple months that it was broken seven times. What that meant was that the time, his time of 2850 was only beaten once in six years pre-COVID, but although 2850 was bested seven times in a couple months, the outright record only fell twice. Once was me and Arnie regaining our title, and once was the infamous but anonymous team dubbed Captain Chaos. And that was the team, of course, that we had to take our record back from. Three years later, almost to the day, we are pleased to have the first and only interview with the captain of that team. And joining me tonight via Zoom, because that's how he drives, is Chris Allen, Captain Chaos, uh, the the team that did 26 hours and 38 minutes on, I think it was April 4th, 2020. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Doug, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah. yeah, thanks for throwing in that little bit. You still hold the current record. <laughs> Are you coming back? Are you going to take it back? No plans. No plans <laughs> that I feel like telling you about right now. But um, <laughs> yeah, that was us at the beginning of COVID. And uh, here I am talking to you ever for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. How how does it feel to be the uh I think you you held the record for holding the record for the shortest amount of time? That was not one that I was planning on uh, on getting, but yeah, I think it was something like <laughs> 40 so or so days, right? Yeah, something like that, about a month. Yeah. 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 Um but but you were the Cannonball record holder and and that's a, a an honor and an accomplishment. What what uh what did it feel like? It felt pretty good. You know, that's not uh, something that most people can say. I mean, obviously, everybody can relate to it in one way or another, but um, 
I've done quite a bit of racing over the years, events that uh, I think are are a pretty big deal. And when you tell somebody that you had the overall cannonball record, you know, everybody turns into a little schoolgirl. And it's <laughs> pretty amazing how this, oh, my God, that was you guys. Yeah. And I have to be careful, though, because there were two white Audis that did it during COVID. Well, was there was a, a white Audi and a white better. Ford. True, true. So we did, we did not intend to create that confusion. We wanted to take the Mercedes, but somebody else ran into the back of it. So I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. It was a shame. Otherwise we would have beaten you about three days later. (laughs) Well, I don't know about that, but four. Anyway, (laughs) he's giving me a look. All right. So you did not publish that publish eyes <laughs> i'm getting published and publicized mixed up uh, it's a michael scott ism you did not publish eyes your record um you kept it anonymous but it was leaked um why did you want to stay anonymous originally compared with most teams who seem to be all about the the glory and the fame at least that's what people say about us it was uh it was certainly never my intention to uh to go public with it um I actually thought the Alex Roy way of doing things and staying anonymous and waiting for the statute of limitations to run out was was probably a wise thing to do. And given the paranoia and everything that surrounded the COVID times, uh, I really thought it was a good thing to do. But even before that, I never wanted to, you know, make a big deal out of it. Mm-hmm. It was just something for me. I've been watching the movies, read the Brock Yates book, read Alex Roy's book, Ed Bullion's book, all of them. I mean, I lived and breathed cannonball when I was younger. It was, it was everything. And, you know, I was, I sat there as a kid just drooling over that Countach and the, <laughs> and the entry credits. And well, I mean, just everything about it. I just absolutely loved. So, you know, every time we went anywhere, it was, let's see how fast we can get there. And, you know, started to get all the countermeasures in place. And so for years and years, I thought about it. Yeah. And uh, again, it just wasn't super important to me to be, recognized for doing it so uh when it was leaked at a very interesting time in uh (laughs) in history i was surprised that uh at some of the backlash we got not to get too far ahead of of, uh, our conversation but it's okay that is literally the next question what what was your your reaction both to having it leaked you know in terms of the guy that leaked it and and to the backlash because there was a lot of backlash both from the press and from within the cannonball community i was uh, i was certainly concerned um i was really trying to look out for my uh, my co-drivers one of which kale i can say his name <laughs> he uh he had a job at a um i'll just say very prestigious company and uh, we did not want it known that he had uh, traveled across the country during quarantine and then, you know, driven across the country and, you know, <laughs> it would have been bad. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, when it came out and uh, they knew exactly what time our vehicle had left and therefore they, you know, I guess potentially could pull up some sort of video on the streets of Manhattan and seeing how we were driving that was concerning. So there, there was definitely a call with uh, my attorney briefly and just like something might happen here. I wasn't sure. I mean, who knows, really? And uh, Nothing's ever happened in the past. So No, no. But if there was ever going to be something, it right. would have been during this. And just, you know, then watching the articles come out and uh, magazines that I used to have a lot of respect for, you know, Car and Driver, you know, used to be 
that was the can that was Brock Yates magazine. That was everything. Right. And I think yeah. they called us um three of the biggest assholes in the United States, <laughs> which I thought was a bit harsh coming from the guys that effectively came up with the idea. Yeah. But, well, um, I kind of thought Arnie and I kind of thought you were too, but you know, for a different well, reason. <laughs> for different reasons. I mean, that was just that's just competition. Exactly. Exactly. You yeah. guys, uh, you guys could have been out there that weekend too. We could have been. I, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about that. It uh, it really was the the golden weekend, as you call it. I yeah. uh, I can attest to that. Yeah. What what was your thought? Um, did you find it hypocritical that some cannonballers? I mean, obviously, car and driver is associated with cannonball, but they you know it's not the same people running it that it used to be. Uh, but there were members of the cannonball community, some former record holders that came out pretty strongly against doing a cannonball and setting a record during COVID. What was your, what was your thoughts, your reactions to that? I was a bit surprised at, uh, at some of the backlash we got from, uh, I think it was the official cannonball record holder group, Instagram, whatever it was, but, uh, <laughs> you know, saying that your record was still the only one that mattered. And, uh, yeah, that hurt a little bit. And then um, certainly people that I looked up to, uh, I think going out in the press and saying that, you know, we could have hit a, uh, a truck full of medical supplies or or whatever the hell they came up with. And yeah, it was it was really weird. I mean, obviously, everybody reacted to COVID differently, but um, I was not expecting that from uh, from some of the cannibal community. And then, of course, the asterisks came out and. Uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like I said before, everybody had the same opportunity to go that weekend. It was just whether or not you did it, and uh, we did it. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that's uh, honestly all the critics against any part of Cannonball, whether it's COVID or whether it's how you do it or what spotters you use or whatever people come up with for rules that they think should apply. Um, the bottom line is you have to just go do it, and that's essentially what i told uh you know different press when they interviewed me because i'm like listen they went out and did it there's no fair or not fair like you have to go you have to get in a car and just because there is a lot less traffic or other advantages doesn't mean that you know their car still could have broken down or the road still could have been closed, or any number of things that can still happen. There's still variables. You have one major variable that's effectively removed from this situation, which is traffic, and arguably one of the biggest variables. But you know, you still got to go. Hundred percent. And yeah, I mean, to me, the only rules of Cannonball are the start and the finish location, and that the same vehicle, you know, is rolling the entire time. You can't pull the old switcheroo. Right. And so. Well, and those were Brock Yates' rules. That that yeah. was exactly it. It was start and finish, New York to Los Angeles, same car, same team, car, wheels are on the ground. And then his famous quote, the only rule is there are no rules. 100%. With that being said, if you were to sort of, you know, get the Knight Rider truck load-in situation to actually work in real life, that would be pretty cool. I might give you a pass for that. But I don't think it would help you. It's not like I don't think you'd it would go either. faster. No, but it would be cool. Yeah. It's kind of like mobile refueling, right? If If you can make that work, go for it. But I don't think it actually makes anybody faster. It's an amazing idea. I certainly thought about it myself. And yeah, after reading the Alex Roy book and 
I like to think I thought of it before I actually read that book, but uh, oh yeah, I mean, who hasn't just spent long nights thinking about the best way to do it? You do the tanker method, you know, on something that can do it on a single refuel or even no refuel at all. And um, I was a bit limited for choices when the opportunity presented itself, which we'll get into <laughs> later. But um, yeah, I was I was thrilled that we did it. I mean, I, I don't regret that for a second that we did it during COVID. And uh, yeah, golden weekend. Yeah, so it's interesting that so many people have this notion that people shouldn't be out on the roads doing cannonball during COVID. Um, and my wife, who is somewhat anti-cannonball because she's a, a rule follower and she's concerned with safety, um, she actually supported it because she thought that was the best time to go because in her mind, the biggest variable to safety was not us, but it was other drivers. And so when there were less drivers out there, she's like, oh, that's great. You guys can drive as fast as you want. And there's like far less to go wrong. So she was super supportive of it, whereas other people kind of just like came up with this special case syndrome where they said, you know, it's it's almost like they didn't care if you hit somebody or ran into a car or ran into a semi truck delivering supplies during a normal period of time. But because it's covid, well, gosh, no, you, you can't you can't kill somebody then doing a cannonball. That's less OK. And I'm like, it's it's the same danger, no matter what time you do it. But I, I don't know. It's it, it was it was weird that that people had such a fascination with with condemning driving when there was less risk, just because. And I, I, I mean, know. on top of that, I mean, it was just a weird time altogether. I mean, I know some people that just barricaded themselves in their houses and people i started talking about it with a select few people and they said oh you'll you'll never make it into manhattan there are blockades up and, and you'll get arrested if you cross the state lines and yeah i was, I was driving heard. around more than ever kind of pre-running right going into that and i was like and i went up to new york a couple of weeks prior and uh there's no barricades and i mean it was a ghost i had heard a lot of that wild. stuff I heard a lot of that stuff. I had people tell me firsthand a bunch of gas stations were closed and, you know, maybe some were early on. But, yeah, I, I had heard all those rumors and then I started driving more and more. And I was like, that's this is crazy. There's nobody out here. Cops was, literally dream. Don't give a crap. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and so you brought up the term I used golden weekend, which I have nicknamed as, you know, basically the first big weekend of the lockdown where uh, people were obeying it because they didn't know any better. Same thing. Like we didn't know whether or not there was actual, you know, border closures and stuff like that. And once, you know, as the pandemic went on, people kind of figured out, oh, this isn't really that big of a deal. I can go drive. You know, I'm not going to get turned around or arrested. So the traffic kind of just eased back, uh, you know, a week at a time. So I nicknamed that that first weekend of April the Golden Weekend because not only did you guys go and set a record, but uh, Sean Petter and uh, Jason and Mark went and set the diesel record, and uh, Carl Yummy Dietz went and set the solo record. So you know three types of records all set during that weekend. So you know a appropriate name I think because I came up with it. You know, but. Um, there was also uh, a lot of people said there was no cops out 
And and that was partially true that some police departments, especially local departments, had instituted no-stop policies in order to avoid contact in that they were not stopping people for speeding. They might for like, you know, major crimes or reckless driving, but in general they were not pulling people over. And I experienced that some with Ohio uh, Highway Patrol. I went by a number of them at triple digits and they seemed to not care. But I know that wasn't necessarily the case in all states but the general like social media you know commentary is there is no traffic and no cops what was your personal experience with that did you have any interactions with law enforcement or did you see them out there were certainly police out um we did not get pulled over a single time during the run which you know at that speed you can't really can't afford to do that right um but uh no, there was a couple of close calls uh, with cops sitting in the median. I think it was in Missouri. And then uh, I was going to say Missouri and Arizona, right? <laughs> and then we were paced by a cop going through Albuquerque and we were paced again uh, just before we got into Kingman, Arizona. Yeah. But that's that's about so they it. were they were enforcing. They were out. They were out. Yeah. And the only one we actually had an issue with was uh, at the finish line, which we can talk about later. But uh, they did show up <laughs> at the finish line. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Our, uh, um, our victory was short-lived. It was about <laughs> 50 seconds. Well, no, tell us about that because that was the, the whole deal with COVID. You guys showed up and there was some other cannonballers there. There were. Much to your surprise. Yes, I was uh, I was not expecting anybody to be there. Uh, it was getting pretty dramatic, you know, coming into L.A. We were we had good time budget and it was just a matter of, you know, if we we got to the point where I think I'll say that I was driving. I was driving at the end <laughs> and um, the it's rain three, was coming three in years. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I think it'll be OK. But um, the rain was coming in. We had a very interesting uh, car running lead block for us. Uh, his name was Camel. Really nice guy. Camel, thanks. But uh, Camel was driving a little crazy. I think that and, video uh, got leaked to YouTube too, right? Like he put his dash cam up or something like that. I did not see that one. I saw the spotter prior to Camel. I think he was the guy that leaked it and he passed okay. us off. It was like a straight piped BMW by. or something that was yeah, driving that was, crazy. And that was Camel. Put his video up because he wanted to be famous. <laughs> but I mean, I was I was all for being safe. We were under budget on time at that point. And, um, you know, the cannonball safety record is important to me. So yeah. we're already an hour under on time. I don't need to be blowing any red lights. I don't need to be pushing it on exit ramps, especially when it's wet. And uh, Camel, Camel was doing all of those things. So we pulled off of the freeway there, going toward uh, Portofino, and he was hitting it hard. And um, it was, I didn't actually anticipate us getting there quite that early. So uh, there was still a bit of traffic around, even though it was California. And um, we flew into Portofino, where there was probably five or six other cars that had completed a little bit earlier that day. And they were tracking our glimpse. And um, we pulled up camel first, of course, in this straight pipe Beamer. And uh, I think that yummy handed me a beer. I'd never met him before, but uh, they knew what we'd done. I mean, I was just, I was just out of it completely. I was so exhausted. And uh, about 30 seconds later, I saw the, uh, the red and blue lights coming down that that long alleyway that leads to Portofino. I was like, oh, shit. And uh, I guess they had a, an order in place where you couldn't have more than five or six people like gathered in the same group. 
And so, yeah, it was like straight out of a movie. It was just <laughs> pouring rain at that point. I was just out of my mind. I had this beer. I see the police. I threw the beer in the bushes and we drove off. We didn't get to celebrate. That's we so didn't... funny. You, you, you break the law, felonies, arguably, <laughs> across the entire country. And then cops show up for an illegal gathering. Because right, it's, at the very end. Yeah, because and they were quarantine. yelling at us over the loudspeakers, <laughs> disperse, disperse, get the hell out of here, and you know, private property, the whole bit. I think the Portofino was closed at that point. Yeah, and, it was, because um, when we went, it was closed also. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of like, it was a little disappointing right there at the end. I wanted to soak it in and stand there on the pier and look <laughs> out at the water, but we couldn't do that. We had to get the hell out of there, and I certainly didn't tell them why we were celebrating. So we left in a hurry, and... Uh, we met up I with think, Camel down at the gas station down the street, and then we did sneak back about 45 minutes later to take that picture because we didn't even get that at the time. Yeah, you have to take the picture. Yeah. Um, so backing up a little bit, um, a, a lot of people assumed a lot of things because there was no information given about your team or about your run because you, know, you didn't want to publicize it. Uh, and one of those assumptions was that there is little to no preparation of either the car or the team. And this is, you know, it was an affront to uh, pretty much all the record holders previously who had prepped their cars extensively, had lots of driving experience, had, you know, prepared for months or years doing logistics research, et cetera, et cetera. So for uh, allegedly some group of young yahoos to go out and just smoke the record that was kind of maybe a little bit insulting to people so that's why they made those assumptions and said oh well but um we found out later that you're basically a pro-am racing driver and some pretty serious racing series um what other driving experience does the rest of your team have um yeah it's certainly a bit I wouldn't say that there was no preparation from the car standpoint. That that right. is true. I was limited for time, but um, no. I mean, our, the team that that I put together was. Uh, I mean, everybody has solid driving experience. I I wouldn't say pro am. I'm an accomplished amateur. We'll say. But you I, raced the 24 hours of Sebring, right? Daytona, Sebring. I did the 24 hours of Sebring and the 12 hours, or sorry, 24 hours yes. of Daytona and the 12 hours of Sebring this year. Thank yeah. you. Yes, you're right. I got those. Yep. Yep. But uh yeah, so I I've done tons of racing and uh yeah, I mean I drive cars all the time and you know I've raced in Germany and I've raced in Daytona and so I wasn't too worried about myself. And uh the first call that I made, of course, was to my brother who done tons of driving with me, not necessarily racing. We've done a couple of track days together, but I mean mm -hmm. he's one of the few guys that I trust on the road. He's really, really solid. Um I can actually take a nap. In the car while he's driving, I trust him completely, James. I, I know exactly the feeling. Yeah, and um, so he was absolutely my first call. And then I needed somebody who was, you know, sort of able to help me plan a bit more. And uh, I called Kale, who I've also done quite a bit of driving with, not necessarily racing, but uh, done some interesting things on back roads <laughs> in our past. So I know he can he can wheel. And um, there was actually two more guys. I knew that. Just like, you know, everything cannonball, you guys have probably experienced this, but uh, people are a lot of talk, even when mm -hmm. it's short notice. And so I had, I think, five people agree to come with me. I knew that my brother James was in, and I thought that Kale would be in, but I had a few alternates lined up just in case. And uh, 
Gerald and Dan, sorry, you didn't come, but, um, no, everybody was very experienced in terms of driving at least quickly on the highway. And, uh, yeah, I do a lot of racing myself. So yeah, I would say we had plenty of experience, but, uh, the car prep was another story. <laughs> so yeah, tell us about that. <laughs> the well, clickbait headline on your run is that you allegedly stole your dad's, uh, leased Audi and ran some Marine fuel tank. So, uh, talk to us about the, the car prep. That is partially true. By the way, we've got nine minutes and 48 seconds left in the corner there. I don't know if you're seeing that. Right. Yes. We've got the, the free Zoom. So we're going to restart the meeting. And in, in, uh, well, I'm sorry, we'll take a commercial break. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> and then um, we'll come back. Yeah. I didn't uh, I didn't steal it per se, but uh, I we did sort of take it across the country without asking. But um, basically, <laughs> I run a, a small car storage facility here in uh, Pennsylvania. Cannonball storage. Shameless plug. And, um, my parents were, uh, pretty hardcore about COVID, especially my father and, um, their garage was full of something or other at the time. And he had this beautiful Audi A8L and he said, Chris, I'm not going to drive this for a while. Um, can I keep it over at your place? Of course. And so I brought it over, I was sitting in the garage and, uh, and then, yeah, I was driving around and just seeing the country locked down more and more. And, um, I knew that this was, this was going to be quite the opportunity. I talked to James quite a bit about it and, uh, I knew I wanted to do something. And this was probably, it was about 10 days prior to us going, but I obviously I had nothing. Um, the only other car I sort of thought of maybe doing it in, which would have been a horrible choice is I, I did have access to a Ferrari FF at the time, but you know, <laughs> we just drink fuel it was gray, but it's not exactly subtle, and sure. it would have been cool, but come on, what a terrible choice. We've all talked yeah. about an FF or something like that, yeah. And I knew, I was really adamant that you would have three guys in comfort, maybe even four that could drive, just because the fatigue is the biggest thing that I was worried about. I mean, to be on for more than than three or four hours, I mean, really on, you know, at triple-digit speeds is, is difficult, as you know. And so I wanted three capable drivers that could swap the whole time. And so the FF back seats were just not going to happen for that. Not to mention, right. I wanted to have a full-size spare. I wanted to have a, a fuel cell, but I didn't have a lot of time. And then there was this A8 sitting there, and I had the keys to it. <laughs> and um, we made. he was under his mileage allowance. Yes. He had a few thousand miles left. It was leased as well. He, need, he needed help with that. Yeah. And um, Dad, you got to get your money's worth. Exactly. And uh, my friend Gerald and I were looking at it one night. We definitely weren't having a COVID get together party by any means. But uh, <laughs> before you know it, we're like, boy, that really would be the perfect car for this. And so we ripped all the trunk lining out. And um, there's this hole. I didn't really want to drill anything because it was a lease. But at the same time, I mean, we kept talking about it. This is a once in a lifetime traffic opportunity. And on the A8L, there's this little hole right on the shock tower, kind of behind the fuel cap. I was like, damn, you could just, I was ideally, I wanted it to be as simple as possible because it was mm -hmm. pressed for time. So um, I wanted it to be some sort of gravity fed thing, but the more I thought about it, that wasn't going to work. But um, I knew that this was the car to take and uh, it had all seasons on it and it still had 130 mile an hour speed limiter on it that I did not have time to flash off. But at the end of the day, I did some testing 
at higher speeds and the mileage was there. I mean, I think it has an eight speed in it. So you could really be low in the revs at 125, 130 miles an hour. And I believe that your average on your, was it 27, 25 run was 103 ish. Yes. Yep. All I knew is we had to go faster than that. Right. And so if we could limit the fuel stops and just make it as simple as possible, of course, it's super sexy to say you were going 180, 190 miles an hour, but the fuel burn at those speeds is outrageous. Sure. And, you know, I wanted to make it, I just wanted to uh, make it as simple as possible. So we had an Audi A8L stock. And um, my first thought for the fuel cell was to order a, a marine fuel bladder. Like for a, if you've ever seen um, like big fishing boats get ferried around, mm-hmm. they put these things on the back deck. I ordered one. I think it was 80 gallons. I measured it out and I was like, this is, this is going to work. This is a great idea. And it showed up and I knew immediately that I would die if I even <laughs> drove with any gas in this thing. And it, it had this really strange nozzle sticking out right where you were going to close the trunk. And we had about six days to go. Shit. And I was like, well, I got to get on Craigslist. I'm going to find me some uh, some boat gas tanks. And uh, so I drove all over Pennsylvania, testing fuel mileage, everything. And I picked out, I think, a 16-gallon tank and maybe a 22-gallon tank. It's all I could find, you know, picking them up from sketchy Craigslist deals. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely a, a quick and dirty um, fuel cell, but uh, it worked. Yeah. They work perfectly. I couldn't believe it. Which is uh, hilarious because the bane of most cannonballers' existence, including our own, has been fuel struggles. Whether it's vapor lock in the tank, whether it's you know fuel transfer, um, any number of of issues have plagued cannonballers. So it's it's kind of funny that you uh, kind of had a last minute uh, hodgepodge setup, and yet it worked brilliantly. It really was a miracle that that fuel setup worked. And the best part was I did drop the the car off at uh, a friend's shop just down the street. It wasn't plumbed or anything, but it had the two red fuel tanks in the trunk. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I got to, can I swear on here? Yeah, you already have. It, so. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I got the, uh, I got the message. What the fuck are you doing? I was like, ah, don't worry about it. And so they did an alignment and some last minute little stuff. And uh, yeah, it was on, Friday morning that Kale and I plumbed that system in the day before we left. And uh, uh, we didn't even use um, fuel-rated did you even, line. Did All you the even, line was oh, just gosh. from Home Depot, <laughs> which, which I knew was going to be an issue. But, hey, we were leaving the next day, so it would last, right? So and you didn't even test the venting, like, when you're filling it up? We tested the venting. I okay. Had, I had the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, the testing on Friday was a bit interesting. We ended up dumping about 20 gallons of fuel on on 95 <laughs> driving around. And I didn't <laughs> have a lot of, like, G-load testing on it. And, of course, the tanks were unbaffled. So I was curious as to what it would be like uh, through Pennsylvania on the windy part of the drive. But, um, yeah, we did some test fill-ups. The venting worked. It was obviously a bit gassy smelling in the car. But, um it was beautiful. And I think I had 320 bucks in the entire system, including the, uh, the tanks. That's great. (laughs) 
you might have one of the the world's cheapest cannonballs. A lot of people have tried to claim that record. Uh, I, I think Mr. Fraud Ashmore is a big proponent of doing the world's cheapest cannonballs and sticking it to all the, the guys who over prep and the, what does he call them? The over planners or something like that. But, you know, using a leased car with uh, Craigslist fuel tanks, that, that might take the cake. It was. Uh, do, do you know your total cost? Did you add it up? I added it up, not including the shipping home because I was running out of lease miles. Sure. Uh, I think I was under 1500 bucks with fuel. What? Yeah. Countermeasures? Uh, yeah. Yeah, everything. Oh, I think I think that's I think that's I mean, an I award. A, I mean, I didn't obviously listen, I mean it was <laughs> the countermeasures were, were a bit lacking. I had a sure. uh, an escort three sixty that I was running full time and I think I borrowed that from somebody. Uh, my Valentine one was obsolete at that point, so I borrowed a new Valentine, whatever the current gen was at the time. But I didn't even turn it on; it was just a backup. And um, Alex, thanks for that. And uh, <laughs> I did buy a set of nice gyro stabilized binox, which I guess I'm not including. Okay, so price. that's doubling your cost. All right, so three. No, I grand. think they were like six hundred bucks. Okay, image stabilized then. Gyro stabilized are like five ten grand. The military spec. Oh, here he goes. It's proving me wrong. Canon image stabilizer. I told you. The very the very <laughs> ones from the run. There they are. There you go. Well, I, I think you can claim a new record for the, the cheapest cannonball record ever. On that Hello. note, we're going to go to a commercial break, support our sponsors, and then we'll be back with the cheapest, shortest cannonball record holder ever. Wow, thanks. <laughs> Celebrity Machines is a proud sponsor of SwitchCast. Celebrity Machines offers more than 250 different screen-accurate license plates for movies and TV shows like Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, The Fast and the Furious, Breaking Bad, The Office, and so many more. Celebrity Machines also makes our dealer insert plates and our commemorative 2539 plates from the fastest cannonball run ever. Visit CelebrityMachines.com for more info or to place your order and use promo code SWITCHCAST to save a whopping 25.39% at checkout. Again, that's CelebrityMachines.com, promo code SWITCHCAST. All right, welcome back, Chris. Thank you again for being here with me. And uh, for those of you just joining us, Chris Allen was the head of the team that set the uh, secret but leaked 26 hour and 38 minute cannonball record back in 2020 dethroning myself and Arnie for a few weeks uh, before we had to had to take it back because that's that's cannonball we're all competitors so we've we've had a great discussion thus far and Chris is walking us through some of the prep um, on the car and I want to get to a question I put it out there for for some of the cannonball guys even though we're not recording live um, I did want to get some some questions from from cannonball fans and uh, you had mentioned that your a8 had a limiter set at 130 mph which you didn't remove you know, for safety, uh, Michael oh, Green, not for safety, but I just didn't have time. Okay. All right. You know, just, just say it was for safety. Sure. Um, and of course I think there's been a lot of discussion about the advantages and disadvantages of, of running during COVID. And you said, you know, it's glamorous to say you're running at 180 miles an hour, but 
the advantage, I think the big one of running during COVID due to the um, decrease in traffic was that you could hold a more steady speed. And for a lot of us, we had to run at 180 miles an hour during non-COVID runs because there's so much time stuck behind other cars that it's like any time that you could make up time, you had to just go as fast as you could. So sure. anyway, I digress. Uh, Michael Greendonor asked, when weren't you on the limiter and follow up whatever happened to the chase car video that was up on YouTube for like six hours, which we talked about earlier? Uh, it's certainly been said before, but um, make up all your time east of the Mississippi. And uh, yeah, we were running hard. I mean, all the way through PA and in the Indiana and everything. And um, the only time I really we got into big traffic was taking the southern route and all through New Mexico and Arizona. The um, the truck traffic just became yeah. horrible. And uh, well, and that's when we picked up your glimpse because your your guy leaked the glimpse to Ed, and so Ed Alex. of course shared it with all of us. Yes, and <laughs> we're looking at going. They're not going that fast. How are they going to set a record? But you know, you're right. You make up all your time east of the mississippi or east of the rockies really yeah and at that point in time i regretted not taking the northern route which i kind of learned more about later with with you guys running and everything but um yeah i mean all up until new mexico we had really good pace i forget what our average um peaked at maybe 108 or a little over that but um yep. It was looking really good for a car that couldn't go over 130 because sure the economy in that car at 125 130 is just fantastic so right the fuel burn was better than i thought it could ever be and our average was fantastic and then we hit the trucks in new mexico and i was like oh shit and just watched the average trickle yep. away hey, hey i mean northern or southern route there's there's disadvantages to both if there's no trucks over the rockies there's the Rockies themselves and you just can't right. carry a lot of speed there. And there's a ton of traffic and even past the Rockies, then you just get the winding, you know, it's like 400 miles of two lane winding highway. So yeah. and it's I just believe slow period on April 3rd or 4th. Um, I had the old seasons on, but I, there was a slight chance of snow, I think through that mm -hmm. Vail pass. And I just did not want to risk it with that, especially, you know, it was only early April. So I said, let's go the Southern route. I've been on it, you know, 10 or 15 times, not on a cannonball type of drive, but I, I knew the, the route quite well. And, uh, yeah, I just said, let's do that. I mean, that's what Google maps says to do. So, <laughs> yeah. And I think I, it's I, what 30 or 40 miles shorter. I think after, no, it's like 11. It's very oh, close okay. actually. Yeah, I think after um, so many records were set on the northern route, uh, I think Google. I think it screwed up Google's algorithm because then they were suggesting the northern route. Mm. So maybe we averaged, you know, between me and Sean and Yummy and a couple others that went north. It like they're like, what? Wow! Now the northern route showing faster. Just you know, all those thirty-hour runs. That's giving yourself a lot of credit. Skewed just it. that three guys screwed with the Google algorithm. <laughs> but maybe, maybe it was five. You. I don't know. There's maybe. some others that didn't set a record that went fast. But yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, what what did happen to that video? I know you guys were trying not to go public, but somebody posted a uh, one of the spotters posted a video from 
from their car. Where I did that go? That was our first spotter, Dave, that uh, that took that. And um, once I won't repeat his name, and I also don't remember it, but the guy that that got the video from Dave and then shared it on Facebook, and then it started to gain real traction. And then I saw that YouTube flyby video. I believe we messaged Dave very, very quickly. And I said, I want that off right now. And uh, then it was gone. And I guess nobody <laughs> screen grabbed it or because I haven't seen it since, but I'm sure it'll, it'll pop up maybe after this, but um, we, we asked him to take that down. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, was there more video? Uh, I, I think we'd all now that we're past all the statute of limitations and you're acknowledging the run. What, uh, what else do you have in terms of video? of the run we had video running in the car i think almost the entire time you know except for some nice. sd card nonsense because that was important to me right i think i also had a time-lapse camera that's, that's going. what all the that's what all the cheaters say there's, there's a glitch in our sd card i mean i won't show it to you but i'm sure it's out there somewhere i probably <laughs> lost it at this point but i think we had a time lapse as well and then uh both of my spotters my spotter that took us out of new york mike I think got some video of us. One of my friends actually walked down to the highway uh, just outside of Lenhartsville, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, and Gerald shot a great video of us flying by there. But aside from that, I mean, there's not a ton of, you know, out of the car flybys. Sure. How many scouts did you have running ahead of you? I had two guys set up in New York and PA. The biggest thing I was concerned about was getting outside of Manhattan just cleanly. Mm-hmm. And getting on, uh, I think it's 78. So I pre-ran that several times with this spotter, Mike. And um, and so he was actually met me at Red Bull and he left about 15 minutes prior. And, uh, and then I had another guy pick us up about Harrisburg and ran us to almost the end of Pennsylvania. But his fuel burnt a little bit quicker than we were anticipating. I was supposed to have a couple of guys in Indy, but they bailed on me last minute. I was supposed to have a guy in Missouri bailed on me last minute. Uh, my good friend Jake ran us through most of Arizona, through all the weird truck traffic, and I actually had a difficult time catching up to him. And then I had two guys meet us uh, on the outskirts of L.A., one of which was about 15 minutes ahead, and then Camel. I wanted to be right on his bumper running into Redondo mm-hmm. because that's just a that's a maze there. And um I told him to bring the loud uh, BMW and it worked. <laughs> so he could take all the attention. Yes. Why wouldn't yep. you pull a bright orange? I think it was a, a one M instead. <laughs> Did of he get big... pulled over? Uh, they talked to him at, I think they, they, t- I don't actually, I mean, they came in, but no, I guess they didn't pull him over specifically because we met him right at the gas station afterwards. So now he got away with it too. That's great. BoxCast is a live streaming company based in Cleveland, Ohio, and they serve broadcasters and viewers around the world. Their founders launched BoxCast back in 2013 with one purpose, to make people part of the experience. If you're looking to live stream your podcast, church service, car show, sporting event, wedding, or even your cannonball attempt, BoxCast is an easy, flexible live streaming platform for organizations. BoxCast is so easy, we're broadcasting this show from our phone. Head over to switchcars.com slash boxcast for your free trial. Again, that's switchcars.com slash boxcast. That's great. So it sounds like you put quite a bit of effort into planning. So a lot of 
testing high speed, a lot of fuel system testing. Um, you did some research on the route. You were uh, recruiting scouts. Um, what other, you know, contrary to what people said, where you just kind of threw fuel tanks in and went on a whim, uh, what else uh, went into the planning of, of this run? I mean, at the end of the day, that that is all we did. I had I had ten days from deciding to go, and uh, Kale and James and I just we talked about it a ton. You know, we tried to estimate where we would be stopping for fuel. I wanted to make sure that the, the gas stations would be open, of course. But um, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, I it was a bit difficult to plan the spotters out, even as few as I had, and to figure out the pacing on them mm-hmm. and how far ahead of of me i wanted them to be and did uh, you have anyone running logistics for you off-site like a ground control so you were just calling the spotters yourself no we had alex watching the glimpse but uh, i was i was orchestrating the spotters myself which was was difficult mm-hmm. and um it's funny to hear the spotters say i'm doing 160 whatever like, i'm catching you <laughs> if you hit 160 but and then Is that kilometers just, <laughs> and then they're just out of fuel almost immediately but um yeah, in terms, I mean, Google Maps is really helpful. That's a pretty direct route. And like I said, I'd driven it several times before, not all the way to Redondo, but to Phoenix. And yeah. um, The southern route's tougher because there's a lot of places to get turned around. The northern route is great because it's easy. It's basically like 80, 76, 70, and then the 15, and you're in California, whereas you have a lot of cities to go through. Indianapolis can be confusing. Missouri, uh, St. Louis especially can be confusing because I think they've had that central part of 55 shut down for like 18 years doing construction. Um, Was there any point that you got a little turned around or weren't sure in all those interchanges? Um, I think think it was in Oklahoma and OK City maybe where it drops. You have to get on the 44 and then to the 40. Mm -hmm. I think there was... Well, you can. Yeah, it's the, the... uh, Kilpatrick Turnpike. I think we almost had a screw up there, but no, it mm-hmm. was it was picture perfect for you know three really tired guys arguing in in a small confined <laughs> space. That really went extremely well. And considering about twenty hours in, you had to reach through the little ski partition to manually flip the lever to go from tank to tank. And then there was also That's the great. big switch for the pump to run, which would get hot which was a bit alarming. And I noticed after about 20 hours, you'd reach back there and you'd be, you know, rubbing up on all the lines and there was a tackiness to your hands. And I knew that the restaurant grade tubing that we were using with (laughs) gasoline and it was probably on its last legs, (laughs) not super safe, but, um, and then we had a couple of glitches uh, with the fuel system actually, um, because I didn't even plummet directly into the tank on the uh, on the A8 on the European version. There's actually a separate little in underneath the fuel cap for DEF for the diesels, mm-hmm. and I just uh, poked a hole in that with a knife, and then I snaked the tube through the shock tower, <laughs> and then I just looped. I just took the gas cap off. And I just looped this little tube right back into the standard filler neck. And so after the stock tank had worn, had burnt down, the refuel we were a bit blind with. So, you know, there might have been some hanging out the window with a flashlight late at night. And 
again, unbaffled <laughs> tanks. So I was flashlighting into the tanks to kind of determine their level. And uh, we had the car sputter on us twice, but hit the pump immediately and did a quick ignition reset and breathed back to life. <laughs> I don't know if I love it or hate it that you guys broke our record with all this jerry rigging, but this is. <laughs> There was a bit of jerry rigging going on. And uh, yeah, in terms of countermeasures, like we talked about before, I had the image stabilized binoculars, the cheapo version. I I mean, that's um, what we run too. I I can't, I don't have the Alex Roy budget. No, I mean, but they work just fine. As long as you get your knees up, because they don't have a mount for the monopod. So we're kind of doing the knees up and resting them on there, the passenger was. And um, that was awesome, but tiring after a few hours. And uh, thought about doing the scanners and everything, but as you know, programming all the frequencies is just an absolute nightmare. And, you know, when you're on the 40 going west and somebody calls in a really, really fast white moving sedan, what am I going to do with that information except for getting my own head about possibly slowing down? There's no other road to get on. Right. So I just thought better to not know. And Yeah, uh, that's, that's a... Ed Bullion has talked about that quite a bit because his scanner didn't really work. His CB didn't really work on their run. So they had limited countermeasures, even though they had all the equipment in terms of, you know, the effective countermeasures they had. But he said something interesting, which is all the countermeasures serve to do is to slow you down. Yeah. Now, sometimes that's legitimate, but oftentimes you slow down because you hear something on the scanner. You slow down for false report on the radar detector and you know, it's almost better to rely on luck because you have to have a ton of that anyway. And, you know, you make a good point because on our first run, we got called in in Iowa and they called in a silver passenger car, which is how, you know, that nickname stuck for the E63. But Arnie slowed down. And I'm like, man, I kind of wish we hadn't heard that we got called in because on the one thing, we're laughing that our disguise worked, but then it didn't work because we slowed down anyway. You knew so, about it. And yeah. That was my thought exactly. And then of course, not having a scanner is a lot easier. I didn't have to program anything. I'm saving the weight. And then there's just one less thing to try to deal with. Yeah. And, um, it did save us on the second run though, in Colorado, because we had gotten called in, uh, and they had made us totally. And the cop radioed back where he was, and we were able to figure out that he was behind us, and so we booked it to the border. So that was—I mean, I guess it wouldn't have mattered you were anyway. It anyway, right? He was behind us, but it was helpful to know because if he was in front of us, we would have had to figure something out, take an alternate route, sure, if there was one available. So, yeah, an argument can be made for or against, I guess, everything. Um, the, the ultimate run would be no countermeasures. You keep your foot to the pedal and just hope for the best. <laughs> yeah. And we lucked out a bit, you know, during the golden weekend, just because there was limited police activity, like we talked about, but um, I was kind of thrilled to not have a scanner. Yeah. Yeah. Ways is also pretty helpful, but with less people traveling on the road, you know, you're only getting so many reports. So yeah, no, that's a good point too. Uh, so for, for less traffic, you know, it's it's not all advantage to run when there's nobody on the road. One of the things Arnie and I discussed uh, was that if there's less people on the road and the same number of cops, which really there was, they didn't put give them a vacation, then you're a more likely target by averages. 
because there's less cars to pull over. So they're you're more visible. And that's when it's helpful to only be going 130. I'm attracting a <laughs> lot less attention. You know, my closing speed is limited. Somebody passes you at 120, 130 miles an hour, you notice, mm-hmm. but it's nothing like getting past and pushing 200. I mean, that's right. That'll get your attention. That's like yeah. no brainer. I'm calling this in, but. And that's why we didn't do that stuff. Like we would slow down to pass yeah. people. I was because yeah. I certainly told Kale and James, let's limit closing speed. I don't want to see any crazy, you know, right hand lane passes. Let's try to just be, you know, as predictable and safe as possible. Cause at the end of the day, like we're doing something that's rather illegal. And I also have 60 gallons of fuel behind us in ratchet strapped boat gas tanks. I don't want to get hit. <laughs> No, I, I I appreciate that you said that, and I think that's an important point that people don't understand, is that, one, from a strategy perspective, it doesn't make sense to drive like a jerk, because you will get called in. So it's it's a, you know, you're weighing the pros and cons and saying, I'd rather go slower and make it there from the perspective of not getting arrested, but the best way to be safe is to not bother other people. If you're not bothering them, then you're likely not doing anything unsafe. Um, we would pass people much slower on the right than we would on the left. We wouldn't ride, you know, we never used a shoulder ever on any of our runs. And, you know, that's an important thing to uphold kind of the spirit of cannonball in my opinion. Um, not that my opinion matters, but you know, I think that's something that the the general public and critics don't understand, but needs to be continually uh, emphasized, especially for people who would do this in the future. Um, and that was actually one of our biggest concerns about the optics of your guys' run, is that it seemed to the watching world that it was just some young guys that went out in a car and no prep, and they broke the cannonball record, and you know, the uh, uh, implication of that was anybody could do that. And that's a scary thing because then people start thinking, oh, yeah, I can just drive fast in my dad's least Audi and I don't need any prep and it doesn't it doesn't matter how I do it. And so it was good to find out things that uh, reinforce the fact that you guys knew what you were doing, that you guys did put prep into it that you guys did have concern about how you were doing it and upholding the cannonball spirit, because that's really, really important. Because if anybody's going to go out and, and try to do this, they need to do it with a proper respect um, for everybody else on the road and uphold that safety record. Yeah. I mean, it, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I mean, with 10 days notice, we drove a leased Audi with boat gas tanks across the country, but um, now Kale and James and myself were, we're all very much on the same page about mitigating risk. I did not want to be passing anybody on the shoulder. I think we used it once, but purely as a bailout because the truck was coming over. But no, we're, we're not passing on the shoulder, keeping the right hand passing to an absolute minimum. And yeah, just minimizing closing speed on people. Yeah. Because especially during COVID, right? All it takes is one guy <laughs> to wander over a bit. He's not expecting somebody to be there. And then, yeah, just, you know. Don't get aggressive. I don't want to see too much flashing. You know, give them a couple of flashes, but don't overdo it, right? Yeah. I was riding with somebody else recently, and I I, I don't know who it was, but it seemed like flashing people from way back seemed to work better than 
up on their rear. Yeah. Um, well, and with the Audi, but, you can hit the lights fast enough to where it almost has a strobe-like appeal to it <laughs> or appearance to it. And uh, that works very, very well, especially at night with those Audi LEDs or whatever they are. And uh, yeah, we we got some good uh, some good use out of that. But just to jab at the cannibal community quickly, I will say you and I, I think, are on the same page about this whole safety record thing. I think some of the most dangerous road driving I've ever seen in my entire life was leaving Darien on the musket ball run. Um, I've never seen that much shoulder passing at uh, during 10 a.m. morning traffic. And uh, I thought, I mean, obviously, a lot of guys there were uh, were some yahoos that thought that they could do it. And some of them did. And they put some pretty good times down, but, um, mm-hmm. I was in a French car again with too much gas, uh, in the trunk. <laughs> and, uh, I had zero intention of pushing it in Monday morning, Connecticut, New York traffic. And I was, I was slightly appalled. I felt like an old man watching these people swerve in and out and make just outrageous maneuvers. And yep. I'm all for keeping a low profile. If that means maybe using an indicator a bit less, by all means, but this was this was next level, and this was yeah. uh, especially during a mass yeah. start when there's 50 cars, some of which are stickered up, myself included. Uh, that was uh, yeah. We've we have some stuff on video that is disappointing to say the least. Yeah, um, hopefully nothing of a, a nice white citron. I thought that we were being pretty uh, responsible. No, I don't think you guys were ever in front of us. Uh, uh, but we <laughs> finished in front of you, didn't we? <laughs> Yes, well, oh. we we're plagued by a breakdown yet again. Well, yet I again. did it in the French car, so if anybody had a good <laughs> chance of breaking down, it was me. And I believe we finished fifth. Uh, no, that was that was an impressive finish for a Cit- Citroën, or however you're supposed to pronounce it. That was an it. impressive finish, full stop. My yes. Mind. No, I'm saying more so, more oh, so, well, yeah. because there's a Citroën. Yeah, the yeah. Citroen gets a lot of hate, but that's a that's a that's quite the ride. It might need a new engine now. It's uh, <laughs> burn a lot of oil. But uh, how was it riding with the venerable Mark Spence all the way across the country? Uh, we we learned some interesting things about Mark Spence riding across the country. He's a what <laughs> co-pilot. My friend Evan and I had uh, we have many many stories to tell about Mark ever since then. Nuts for Sticks is a brand celebrating the manual transmission in all its forms. Forget flappy paddles, we like shifting ourselves. Check out our fun and funny stick-themed shirts at nutsforsticks.com and save 10% on your order using the discount code SWITCHCAST. That's nutsforsticks.com, discount code SWITCHCAST. Um, so you talked a little bit about the, the video evidence you have which is pretty hard to to refute but i want to ask the question anyway uh if if only to to make a jab at those that don't have it but Uh. so this is 2023 so uh the first transcontinental record was set 120 years ago so we're on the anniversary and um Everything for the last 120 years, there has been a certain burden of proof, even for the records done in 1903. In the early 19 teens, there was controversy about people who didn't have the right amount of evidence. There was, you know, during the whole history of Cannonball, there's been a minimum burden of proof. And 
a few years ago, that burden of proof had a big exclamation point put on it with uh, after Fred Ashmore's run was deemed to be fake. And I'm pretty sure Fred himself, in an ironic twist, was making fun of you guys because you had the the iPhone timer just taped to the back of your seat. And he was saying like, oh, that's not, you know, that's not enough proof or whatever. So he he kind of questioned your run, made fun of you for that. But you weren't trying to publicly claim a record either. So, you know, for all you care, you could have had no proof because you weren't trying to prove it to anybody. Um, but going into this, um, you knew the history of Cannonball. You knew that everybody who had done it had quite a bit of proof so besides the video did you set out to have any other documentation witnesses whatever in case your run was questioned yeah i mean again it was never my intention to claim it i just wanted to know that we had done it i mean i would never i mean the biggest thing was that i knew i knew that i did it right and i mm-hmm. wanted to be able to authenticate that you know it wasn't some weird time mix up so had multiple timers going in the car, one of which was our official timer, which was that taped <laughs> iPhone. And uh, hey, that's a pretty good timer. I mean, it doesn't look that fancy, but um, it did work. And, you know, on a run that I'm not trying to prove to anybody else, am I really going to stop the timer for an hour or two? I guess I could have, but I know I didn't. And that's the number one thing that matters to me. Sure. But there was, of course, the. I mean, I thought that potentially we could do it knowing what the traffic situations were like. So it was important to me to be able to prove it should that situation arise, even though I had no intention of claiming it. So um, first things first, I threw the easy pass out. So we'd get tickets all the way across PA. Um, I had a couple of people, including one of our spotters, Mike, meet me at uh, Red Ball to kind of witness the exit. Um, I have the fuel fill up receipt in manhattan from our last fuel up i've got all the geotagged pictures from us screwing around at red ball um we've got the live footage of us leaving and then doing pretty much the entire run i probably had 10 or so people on the glimpse although i was a bit hesitant to share that for obvious reasons and uh i guess it got to you guys at the end of it so i didn't do a very good job (laughs) holding that down um, I have all the ga- like the printed gas receipts in my file. Um, I do have those toll tickets. They did end up showing up. Uh, I have. I stopped at the toll booth, the first toll. Oh, booth. so you blew the toll, and they mailed you tickets for blowing the toll with Easy Pass. But I wanted one physical ticket, so I stopped at. Is it in Kansas? There's no, like you wouldn't fourth- go through Kansas. I didn't go through Kansas. Now it sounds like I'm faking it. Um, (laughs) Where's the toll booth? There's a lot of toll booths. No, no. Like the one right in the center. Like the one that Alex Roy broke down at. Uh, Missouri, I think. It was either Missouri or Oklahoma. I think he broke down Oklahoma. Maybe it's in Oklahoma. Anyway, when those first, I guess it's on the 40 or whatever that freeway is. I could show you the receipt, but I actually stopped and got a toll ticket from there. Of course, I didn't pay any of the other ones after that, but I wanted, you know, one physical receipt on top of our fuel receipts. And then, um, yeah, you guys picked up our our glimpse sometime in Arizona, which I guess was kind of a blessing because then I didn't have to, you know, try to really prove it to anybody. And then we had, well, I think there were five or six cars there waiting at the finish 
Sure. Um, you know, well, you had people watching your glimpse. You had people watching your glimpse the whole time too. Yeah, I I think that's um, that's that's key. I mean, that's kind of you know the the virtual um, the virtual witnesses because you can watch the entire run. Hundred percent. I do think the glimpse um, blanked out during the last five minutes of the run because there was some uh, hectic mm-hmm. confusion going on with Camel running us in, and then you know I needed James backing me up because Kale was sort of losing his mind um, to fatigue, and so I wanted a, a backup GPS going. And I think we might have turned the glimpse off accidentally, but then yeah, Jason and Mark and all those guys. I think Yummy was still there, uh, saw us run in, so. It's Our live been. stream uh, quit on twenty seven twenty five going into California. So like right. the last hour, we lost on video. So my wife didn't even know we broke the record. Like she was trying to calculate the time and stuff. But then the the live stream dropped. You know, of course it's yeah. It's, oh, of course, it's what well, they what's also interesting yeah. Is I tried to have the uh, whatever the Garmin like the classic shot that everybody always takes of the average moving time and everything. But of course, I couldn't get one in time. So I was utilizing the like Audi onboard trip computer and it was pretty outrageous how wrong the mileage was on it by the time we got there. Yeah. Like, well, that doesn't look good, but I think it was either I forget. Even it was the Garmin's the Garmin's are slightly off too. Like we run two Garmin's and they never agree. Yeah. 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 So. I mean, but at the end of the day, I know that I did it. James knows that we did it. Kale knows that we did it. So if your run wasn't leaked, this is what I think every cannonball record holders plagued with in terms of an insecurity um especially because of the alex richard debacle of like richard thought he had the record because alex hadn't released it would you have at least called me and arnie and said hey we broke your record because it would suck for us to think we had the record but there's always this nagging thing of like somebody did it but they're keeping it a secret and i think that was part of the reason i wanted to have that proof so that yeah i could kind of reach out to you guys but you know, I didn't know any of the cannonball community at that time at all. It was kind of a miracle that we like met up with them at the finish line on this, you know, transcontinental. I mean, I, that was just wild. And actually saw a couple like camera flashes go off as we're coming in was was surprising to say the least. But um, yeah, I guess I would have tried to reach out to you guys, but you probably get that all the time. Um, Not a lot. Ed had a lot of people reaching out to him before we broke his record saying they did and just yeah. nothing would ever come of it. Uh, a lot of people claiming it. And, you know, there's a guy, there's a team in February of 2020 in a, uh, Audi RS seven that claimed to beat our record. And they kind of trash talked on Instagram and we're like, did they really do it? And, you know, we were stuck in this limbo of like, do we actually hold the record or whatever? But they had no intentions of making it public. Sure. But they were also being real dodgy about proof or or whatever. Um, And so we just assumed they were not being forthright because a lot of other people had done things like that and made ridiculous claims. Um, but yeah, that's, that's always in the back of our minds is, is what if somebody did it and they don't claim it publicly? Uh, are, are we really the record holders? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the big thing for me was, you know, I've got photos at the beginning and the end that are geotagged and, uh, I've got my receipts and that's what matters to me. But the big thing, the really big thing that mattered to me is that we had a continuous timer, right? Cause 
Mm-hmm. How many times have you heard of people just estimating what their actual moving time was? And maybe they took a nap in the middle and they stopped the timer, but no, I mean, right. I, uh, I have no hesitation that we did it. So, I mean, Hey, if somebody doesn't believe me, I'm not going to send you my receipts. I'll show them to you. But <laughs> I, Even at the finish line, I think somebody said, all right, let's see the proof. And I was like, no, 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 no. Nope. First of all, I'm not going to get my receipts. Sounds like something Mark would say. But so, I just, so yeah. So you guys are there. You have a welcoming committee, committee, <laughs> committee, something Arnie and I have never had. Um, how did it feel? Inside, I know the the guys that were there said you guys jumped out of the car elated, like they they believe that you broke the record just because of, they could see the reactions and and the the excitement on your faces. How did you guys feel inside when you got there? I was jacked and super focused on the way in, you know, trying to follow Camel through this like rainy maze. Um, like I said, Kale was sort of great guy, but slipping a little bit after uh, you know pushing. 25 hours with no sleep and um i was james was running the backup gps for me but yeah we got there i'd never actually been to the portofino before so i didn't quite understand that long run up and then there's the guardhouse so the first time the 2638 is probably a bit off in a few seconds because i drove past the guardhouse and i was like (laughs) no no you gotta stop here stop here so i went past it up into that coned off lot and then we were facing the other direction Kind of like how you take the photos. And uh yeah, we stopped the timer and it was there. I mean, it was it was awesome. Yeah, we jumped out. Like I said, it was pouring rain, which was just perfect. And it was straight out of a movie. And and then about five seconds later, the exhaustion set in and I was just out of my mind. And uh I remember James went to get the receipts to show somebody that had just asked us. I said, nope, we're not showing anybody anything. Like, you know, nice to meet you guys. And then the police showed up about 30 seconds later. So we didn't really have time to. <laughs> uh, there's, always, there's always the anticlimactic moment. Yeah. So, all, yeah, we always. drove to that shell station and shook each other's hand and everything. And then we did sneak back. And I, th- I think we met Mark there on the way back in. And we talked to him for 10 or 15 minutes. But, um, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. And then that's awesome. I can only imagine how bad it must feel to do that entire drive and be as tired as you are and miss it by just a few minutes. Like those guys from Boston, Boston. Chris oh, yeah. We love them. We love them three different and, times. Yeah. Oh, I think that they gosh. went out what the next weekend and I may have been talking to you at the time or maybe it was two, yeah, weeks, two weeks after I think. Yeah. And they lost it by three or four minutes. Was it five minutes, five minutes short. Now that's got to hurt. And luckily, I never had to go through that. The first yeah. time we actually did time to run, we got the record. It doesn't get much better than that. And the overall record, not some yeah. whatever record people are making <laughs> up these days. It's cla- It's like racing classes. You have classes yes. in your endurance racing. It's just we don't have specified classes, so people make up their own. And that's, People just make stuff up, yeah. Yeah, and there's just a lot of them that have been made up. So. Yes. All right, we're we're coming up on the the time here, but I do want to ask one last question. This is a good one from Jay Roberts. Uh, speaking of qualified records, he's got a nonstop record, and I think the solo record as well. And, sure. and we we love Jay a lot because he is man, he's a, he's a great guy. Um, his question 
where is the Audi now? That's always a question. What did you do with the the record holding car? Did you let it get turned in off lease or did you buy it out? Uh, right off the bat, uh, I said, I'm, I got to buy this car off lease. And, uh, you know, we called my dad the next morning and actually the morning we got there and he thought we were in jail or something hung up immediately. You know, we called him the next morning and told him that we had his car in California. And he said, well, you, you what, you what? And then eventually we told him we, we got the record and he was, he was psyched and super supportive. And we were trying to figure out how to buy this car. And the residual was outrageous. I mean, it was like, I forget what the MSRP on that thing was, but you know, two or three years later, it was still like 68 grand. Wow. And uh, I turned it in. Well, dad turned it in. Yeah, we, we we got rid of it. I figure it's probably been smashed up three or four times since then. I've got Do you have the VIN? I've got you the should VIN. at least search it and try. You, you should buy that car back. I will buy that car back, even if it's been smashed up a hundred times. Hopefully it doesn't get scrapped or something. But um, yeah, I, I need to own that. But I just yeah. wasn't willing to. I regret it now, but do I? I mean, you know, an Audi that's just gone off lease for like 68 grand. <laughs> that aside, also, I may have sprayed gas all over the inside of it when we were pulling the fuel cell out. So I was like, you know what? Maybe we should but get it's rid of this stories. Car. It's stories. 20 years later, those stories you can be like, this This car this is what we did in this car. Maybe somebody some else will buy it because they'll find the VIN number and then they'll try to sell Are it there any for photos out money. there? Are there any photos out there with a license plate number on it? Um, no comment. You should probably. probably check before this episode goes live and somebody tries to buy that car. I'm sure it's gone already. I mean, <laughs> I think it. I think it got my, like, I posted a VIN wiki with the plate. I don't remember, but um, I've got the VIN number. Somebody will try to sell it back to me. It might be nice, actually, because then I don't have to track it down. But um, <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll look for it in the next couple of days here and I need to buy it back. You should do that. You should yeah. do that. Awesome. Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, congratulations on both your records, uh, being the the shortest record holder ever and and the cheapest. Um, although I think Scott Bauer in his rental VW might have been cheaper. We'll have to compare prices. But anyway, thank you for your time. Appreciate the conversation and uh, happy to be competing against you. Hey, thank you. And by the way, follow Cannonball Storage on Instagram. Follow my racing exploits. Legal Heck racing yeah. exploits. Legal ones, yes. All right. Thanks a bunch, Chris. All right. We'll see you. Bye. Well, everyone, thank you for listening. I hope it has been as exciting for you as it was for me. Uh, certainly exciting, I guess, to hear about them breaking our record, but um, in a disappointing way. But I'm glad to have had Chris on the podcast and really dive into um, the planning that went into their run and just all that they experienced along the way, because it's a story that nobody's heard yet. We are the first in the exclusive interview, and, and I'm, I'm happy to share it with everybody. So again, if you want to check out Chris's adventures, he is a, a real pro-am racer. He runs in the LMP3 class of IMSA. And uh, I think he's car number 38. You can follow him at uh, on Instagram at, at Cannonball Storage. Again, if you want to uh, store your car in the Philadelphia area as well, you can go store your car there. You can al- also follow him um, at, at Chris B underscore Allen. And his brother and co-driver is at almost underscore Jameis, like famous, but 
James, that would be, because it's James Allen. Yeah, super inventive. Anyway, great guys, and they are always uh, into automotive adventures, so they're worth a follow. Uh, again, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much to Chris Allen for being on the show with me. Thank you to our sponsors, BoxCast, Nuts for Sticks, Switch Cars, Celebrity Machines, and Stephen Holm Woodworking, and our producer, Ethan Huffnagel. Our bumper music is provided by Emily and Ivory. You can stream their full album on Spotify or SoundCloud. This episode will be available Monday in audio format wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week as we'll be back live in studio, and we look forward to edifying, educating, and entertaining you on the drive of your life.